How good is creating niche content? How about understanding the purpose of your content and focusing on providing value? Lexi Grant, founder and CEO of They Got Acquired, understands the importance of both these things. She has launched not one, not two, but three content businesses, successfully selling her previous ones. Today, She's here to share her insight on why she started They Got Acquired, doing research to produce good content, and how sponsorship is playing a bigger role in their monetization process than expected. In Build Something More, we'll talk all about being a parent and going through an acquisition while pregnant, as well as uh, the fact that she and her partner are self-employed with two kids. So we will get to all of this and more. You can find everything that we talk about over at howibuilt.it slash 264. Today's sponsors are Taylor Brands, Text Expander, and Nexus. So without further ado, let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps small business owners create engaging content that drives sales. Each week, I talk about how you can build good content faster to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. Real quick before we get started, I want to tell you about a free weekly newsletter I'm doing called Creator Toolkits. I want you to become a more efficient creator. It's the whole purpose and mission of this show. I want you to be able to free up more time to create, to get more sales, and to make more money. And you'll be able to do that with these free weekly tips delivered to your inbox every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. with the Creator Toolkits newsletter. As a thank you for signing up, you will get a free content planner that I use personally with uh, YouTube and podcasting, and that is built in Airtable. You'll get that completely for free if you head over to howibuilt.it slash Airtable. Become a more efficient creator with free weekly tips delivered directly to your inbox every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern over at howibuilt.it slash Airtable. Hey, everybody. I am here with Alexis Grant or Lexi Grant. We were talking about that in the pre-show. Um, and she is the CEO uh, and founder of They Got Acquired. I'm really excited to talk to uh, Lexi today because we're going to be talking about content, which she is very familiar with. Um, and this is kind of a weird, funny, uh, I don't want to say sequel. It's not a spinoff. It's just a an, a... a an update because uh, a while back I had uh, her husband, uh, Ben Collins, on the show. So uh, it'll be fun to catch up, but that's enough of me talking. Let's bring in Lexi. Lexi, how are you today? I'm good. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to chat. Likewise, uh, I'm really glad. So uh, so Lexi reached out um, with a really good pitch. This is something that I've been, um, this is like a drum I've been beating lately is that most pitches are bad. Uh, and so good pitches are, are like gold to me. So thanks for, for being a I can't a remember listener. if I pitched you. I thought, I thought someone tagged me on Twitter or something. Oh, it maybe, must be, oh. but maybe then I pitched you. Or, yeah. You know, not, it like, was, I haven't, I don't have an active pitch campaign. So yeah, somehow we connected. Ben Meredith might've. Oh yeah. He, he used he to work for the, me like 10 years ago. 
Oh, really? That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm I know I'm from the WordPress space now. Um yeah, you know what, Ben, who also a previous uh guest on the show. Um yeah, he I think he tagged both of us on Twitter. And uh I'm always like suspect of that because now I'm like it's like a public commitment to at least respond. <laughs> um but I mean, and then you then you responded in, in pitch and I was like, well, this is like Perfect. So uh, really excited to have you on the show today. Um, and uh, just to kind of set the stage, uh, I don't like to tell people to stop listening to this episode, to go listen to something else and come back. But um, Lexi's podcast, uh, They Got Acquired, uh, is really good. And the latest episode of that, as we record this, is is kind of her backstory. And um, I listened to that and that's going to inform some of the things that we talk about here. Uh, so I will link that in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 264. Um, but let's let's start here. You have owned or were at the helm for four kind of media or content companies. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. This is my fourth. Yeah, so this is your fourth, uh, and then you you wrote for the uh, the penny hoarder kind of like aqua hired you is it mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. you and, got it, yeah. and then you had the the right life, mm-hmm. and I think I'm missing some. I'm missing my one. first content company was um, a small content agency. We ran blogs for businesses. Nice. And, so yeah, and, I went from the content agency, and while I had the content agency, we launched the right life, and then. I went in-house at the Penny Hoarder um, and now subsequently working on They Got Acquired. Nice, nice. And um, and you've, you've kind of always been in, in the, the content field, right? You were, you did journalism? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I started my career as a reporter. Yeah, and so what made you interested in um, kind of starting your own business and then similarly acquisition specifically? Mm-hmm. I started my my own business, you know, originally I fell into it like many of us do when I was looking for a job. I had, I had left my job at the Houston Chronicle and to go traveling for a while. And when I got back to the U.S., I was looking for a job and started doing some content marketing work for different companies as a way to hold myself over till I found that full-time job. So it was really just like a way to keep myself busy and make some money while I was looking for a full-time job. But then I ended up realizing that I really enjoyed it and I, I liked being my own boss and that's how I got stuck into it. Yeah, that's it's really funny when when you kind of, I don't know how people figure that out, right? I, I fell into it in my teens when I was uh, making my own websites for people and I was like, it's nice kind of being my own boss. And I feel like that, like, uh, I'm not going to say it like tarnished any full-time in, employment uh, I had because I was always a good, I feel dedicated full-time employee, <laughs> but, um, I always felt like I had at least like half a foot out the door. Right. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is great, but I definitely still want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, acquisition specifically, you've had a couple of successful acquisitions. So was, is that the thing that kind of made you interested in, um, launching they got acquired yeah it really came out of my own pain points um i knew i wanted to do another media company and when i was thinking about what topic we might cover i was thinking about my own experience selling content companies and all the things that i didn't know 
and had to learn and, and didn't know where to find the right people to help me, didn't know where to find the right resources. Um, and those are the pain points really that led to me starting They Got Acquired. Nice. Yeah. And it's like, it's a little bit of a, a black box, right? Acquisitions, right? Because I, first of all, there's probably some privacy around the details of uh, of an acquisition, right? Mm-hmm, People mm-hmm. are, unless you're a publicly traded company, you're probably not going to disclose. And even if you are, I guess you're probably not going to disclose exactly how much you paid and what the owner got and the exact deals of that. And 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 then well, from a negotiation yeah. standpoint, right? Um, mm-hmm. I would have no idea how to negotiate. You know, if somebody came to me and they're like, Joe, we want to buy how I built it. I'd be like, cool. I don't know. How much is it worth to you? That sounds good. <laughs> so Yeah, that, that's um, a position, yeah. position a lot of first-time sellers are in because if you've been focusing on building your business and then an opportunity comes up, you're not really ready for that. So there's a huge learning curve. And, there's, and you want to learn a lot because you want to sell it for as much as you can. Um, so I think that's the point when a lot of people will go looking for resources when they realize they need it. And, and for, you know, second and third time entrepreneurs, that's more top of mind from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think there's still a lot of a lot of advice that we can provide in those situations as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I've I've had a few guests on the show in the past kind of talking about acquisitions and one that um a, a previous guest, gosh, I think it was uh one of the Sprout founders, um mentioned uh like keeping separate books for each of your projects sort of thing, if you want to spin them off, right? And all of my books kind of go under my LLC. Uh, So Mm -hmm. if I did want to sell this podcast and somebody wanted to buy it, uh, the due diligence would be extremely painful because then I'd have to go through and like separate out all the money I specifically made from sponsorships and other affiliate income and memberships, which are now kind of tied to my online courses. So it's, Mm -hmm. it would be a very painful process. uh, The due diligence part, at least. That you nailed it with. That's one just really good piece of advice. The, the cool thing about preparing your business for a sale is a lot of the things that you might want to do would be good to do anyways, even if you weren't going to sell your business. So mm-hmm. like, I know a lot of us have lots of projects. I have a lot of side projects or yeah. I have traditionally as well. Um, and I think it makes sense to keep the books separate, not only to prepare for a sale, but because then you can have a really good visibility into what's bringing in your money and what's, what's selling your money or what, what's, um, what's selling your money, what, <laughs> what you're spending your money on. Um, cause I made this mistake before myself when I had a lot of projects where I made assumptions about what I thought was costing me money. And when I really got into the weeds, I'm like, Oh, that's actually not right. And maybe I'll make different business, business decisions because I have increased visibility. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great point, right? I mean, with the bigger projects, it's, uh, it's probably obvious the things that are like the thing that makes you the most money, you you probably know. But if you do have a lot of smaller properties, right? I have two other podcasts. Are they a money pit? Are they a time mm-hmm. suck? Are they worth doing? Um, my membership, is that worth doing? Uh, members, mm-hmm. yes, it is worth doing for me. So don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you do, you want to make sure that um, you're running your business efficiently and, and understanding the kind of profit and loss of each income stream is is helpful for that. This episode is brought to you by LearnDash. Look, I've been making courses for a long time. I've taught at the college level and I've created curriculums for several different organizations, including Udemy, Sessions College, and LinkedIn Learning. 
When I create my own courses, there's no better option than LearnDash. LearnDash combines cutting-edge e-learning tools with WordPress. They're trusted to power learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, and creators worldwide. What makes LearnDash so great is it was created by and is run by people who deeply understand online learning and adds features that are truly helpful for independent course creators. I love the user experience. And now you can import Vimeo and YouTube playlists and have a course created automatically in seconds. I trust LearnDash to run my courses and membership, and you should too. Learn more at howibuilt.it slash learndash. Before we kind of get into the content creation bit, tell us a little bit about They Got Acquired, because I really like... um, I like the the mission of it, right? Especially because, I, I mean, I don't know how closely you follow the WordPress space, but there's been a lot of acquisitions mm-hmm. there lately. And I feel like that's very new to mm-hmm. people in the WordPress space. So um, what what was, what's the mission of They Got Acquired? Yeah, we're actually working on covering some of those. So you keep an eye out for when those nice. go live. <clears throat> yeah, our mission is to um, showcase founders who are selling online businesses between... Um, well, we say for less than $50 million and our threshold started a hundred thousand. So their deals between a hundred thousand and 50 million. And um, while 50 million sounds like a lot to many of us in the Mm -hmm. business world, it's actually considered quite small. And so if you follow traditional uh, mainstream publications or tech publications, they will cover the huge acquisitions, the ones we all hear about, but no one was covering the much smaller ones. And for me, as someone who, you know, has sold, a business in that range myself, I want to see other examples of people who are doing that. And like, I think that the advice I can hear from those types of entrepreneurs is more relevant to my building of a business. And right. so covering founders who are selling their companies for six, seven and low eight figures, it's just, it's, a, it's, uh, you can look into this world a little bit differently than, um, it's a different look, I think, than, than some of the bigger companies. And one of the driving factors there too is most, but not all of the companies we covered are cover are bootstrapped. So some of them do have minimal funding, but since our threshold is fifty million dollars, you know most investors are not going to invest in a company that would sell for less than fifty million dollars. So a lot of the companies that we cover are are bootstrapped or they've only raised from angels. Yeah, which is which is um, I think a kind of an important distinction, right? Because if you are taking um, investor money, like VC money, then it's kind of assumed that you're either going to sell or go public, right? Like that's... Mm-hmm. You, yeah, it's a very different way to yeah. grow a company. And, you know, personally, I love the route of bootstrapping. That's all of the companies I've worked on have been been bootstrapped. And, you know, I worked at the Penny Hoarder. That was a fast growth um, media mm-hmm. company. But we even even so, that company was bootstrapped. So that's really in my ethos. And I, I never say never, like I never say I would never take <laughs> uh, funding, but... Personally, I like the lifestyle of having a lot of autonomy and um, growing on my own terms. And I think a lot of people appreciate that. And they're, they're not showcased enough, that type, that type of business building. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially in the tech space, right? Like the idea is that you have to put together your pitch deck and get VC funding and hire and acquire users as fast as possible. But like that's, you know, that's not, I'm, you know, we were talking about this in the pre-show I've got three kids. The, st- the reason I started a business was I want to spend time with them when I can. I don't want to, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to be beholden to investors who gave me a ton of money on the expectation that they're going to make a ton of money. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people, when you explain this concept, they say, oh, so you're building a lifestyle business. And that, to me, is almost taken on a totally different uh, meaning now because, yeah. you know, I'm not, I don't want to work a four-hour work week. I'm not, like, sitting on the beach most of the time. I right. work really hard, but I work, you know, 30 hours a week, not 100 hours a week. And um, I want to make choices that I think will lead us to profitability and sustainability, not just for the company, but also for me in my own life. Those are important values to me. And I feel like that's the kind of story. Like, I want to see other examples of people who are living those values. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that again, that's super relatable to me. You know, I don't, I don't think that um, anybody listening to this is going to think they're going to be the next Activision or whatever, right? Maybe Activision is not a great example because of all the bad press or the bad things. Um, but, you know, nobody's, I'm not expecting anybody to buy me for $70 billion, right? Um, or even Marvel at whatever it was, some in insanely small amount of money now based on what they've done for Disney. But, um, but seeing, you know, again, just to pull some examples from the WordPress space, like learn dash was a bootstrapped plugin LMS plugin that launched for WordPress that, that sold. And now the, the founder, Justin, uh, I consider him a friend. He's off doing a bunch of other things outside the WordPress space that interests him now. And that, that is the, the kind of cool stuff that, um, I think is, that again, like you said, the stories don't get told enough. Yeah, a lot of the stories we cover, the founder ends up selling in part because they want to move on to a different project or they have another project that's already taken off that they want to put more of their focus into. Yeah, and you. So you mentioned in in um, uh, your episode of of they got acquired that covered your story uh, that the you podcast. Mm-hmm. Pod, I'm sorry, yeah, mm-hmm, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that you like that part of it, right? The starting starting the business and not necessarily like the taking it to the next level. That's is that am I mischaracterizing there? Well, I I, I do like the scale scaling mm-hmm. a business. I enjoy that part. <clears throat> what I don't love is like the people management. So I don't mm-hmm. dream of having a company with even a hundred employees. Like that's not yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. I what's what I think is like the holy grail is a small company, and maybe that's like a a few employees, that brings in a lot of money um, and is like creates, uh, um, allows the people that run that company to have the life that they want. And to me, a lot of that revolves around like, I don't want to be super stressed. And I mean, I still, even even optimizing for low stress, I still get stressed sometimes. It's not, you can't avoid it if you're growing you're growing a startup. Right. But I, I mean, think, and if I, you care, right? <laughs> like, right, right. Exactly. If you care about something, you're going to stress about it. But being intentional about it, I think helps yeah. helps me get closer to that mark. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Tara Clays was on the podcast a, a, a several epico- episodes ago as this comes out. Um, and she kind of said the same thing, right? Like she, she doesn't want to grow to be this big agency. She wants to stay as just her. And so growth means something different for her. And, and mm-hmm. I, I feel the same way. I, I don't, I mean, I have an, like a full, not a full-time accountant, but like she's, you know, um, she's on retainer with me. And so she can definitely manage some of the stuff that, uh, like a, having an employee, like that just sounded like anathema to me like two years ago. <laughs> um, but even still, I don't want a giant company. I want, I want to be able to put out the content I want to put out. Um, and I, I want to make it fun and, and I want to be able to take the afternoon off if my kid's in a play or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that's yeah. the other part of this too, is I found since becoming a parent, I really need the flexibility because there, you know, there are going to be days when I, I do wish I could work and I can't. And, and that, I found that that to be really stressful. I mean, the pandemic for me was like 
a, shining a huge spotlight on that. I know, I know it did for all parents, <laughs> but like in how I felt about my work um, is I, I want it to be, I want to be in a place where I have complete control over what to do and when it's due so that I don't feel the weight of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's touch on that a little bit, right? Because you, you again, you did mention this in, in your podcast episode, but something that you said there that I loved was um, that you don't think enough people talk about their personal lives and how it informed their business decisions. And mm-hmm. during the pandemic, again, my wife was a nurse, still is. She couldn't work from home uh, and she was getting no time off, right? I mean, they were they were pretty strapped for for. Mm-hmm. Um, for people. So um, three, t- uh, three times a week, three weekdays a week, I was a full-time stay-at-home dad to both of my children uh, who could not go to school. And that was stressful. And uh, as you have, you have multiple children, I believe, who are close in age, right? Mm-hmm. I have a four and a six-year-old. Okay. Yeah. So like, like simultaneous nap is the holy grail to me. And my my two olders are like just far apart that they weren't really doing that um, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. So I really couldn't, I really had to change the way I worked. And I, I ended up hiring a VA and uh, a video editor um, to take stuff off of my plate so that on the days I could work, I could focus on the creation part and then allow somebody else to do the things I didn't Smart, need to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's smart. So. Yeah, c- coming to, back to your question, just thinking about like the integration of work in your business. I was having a conversation with someone recently who was kind of debating me on this um, and saying, well, hey, but wouldn't the business advice you give someone be the same on how to grow their business, regardless of whether they have a family or whether they have a chronic illness or um, whatever they're managing in their personal lives? And I feel like the answer there is no. I could see where he was coming from. It's like more of a old school way of thinking, I think, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, and a lot of industries are still old school, <laughs> Yeah. but you know, my personal belief is that we all make choices in our businesses that depend in part on what's going on in our personal lives. And so ignoring that what's going on in your personal life only to focus on the business doesn't, it does us a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, on that point, you know, anybody who follows me on Twitter will know I've been beating this drum a lot too, is, is the, it feels like these threads are like, so the threads that are like very focused on, this is a thing I did and here's how I felt about it. Right. I think actually you had a thread on this today, um, about reaching 2000 email subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there are threads that are like, here's like seven tips to do X. And they're all like very, this is, this worked for me and therefore it will work for you. And those are just, I think those are like platitudes that drive me insane because it's not, you know, Tim, you mentioned the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss, I think in a piece a couple of years ago said like, how do you stay focused? And he was like, well, for two hours every morning I meditate and that's me time. <laughs> and I was like, if I am up before my children, I have maybe 20 minutes to shower. (laughs) (laughs) Like that just doesn't work for me. Yeah. I wrote a blog post that's titled something like I used to love productivity advice until I had kids. And that like really made the rounds because, and and I I was the kind of person I used to write this kind of stuff, like productivity advice. Um, And it's, it's a good eye opener because it makes me think like, what am I writing about now that I, when I don't know what I don't know, (laughs) like what am I going to learn in the future and look at back at this woman and say, Oh, you didn't know that then. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like a lot of 
a lot of Twitter, honestly, is that's I think that's the one downside of Twitter is a lot of it is it it, it can make you feel like you're not doing enough. Um mm-hmm. When you, a lot of us probably are. Yeah, right. When we're all, we're all trying. I mean, I, I wrote a thread about this today, actually, uh, as, as we record this, right? Cause like, I just, I just got the Mac studio. This is the first episode I'm recording on the Mac studio. Very excited. And I, I shared a picture of my desk and lots of people like, oh, I'm so jealous and this and that. And I'm, I'm like, look at the, look at, I have a page, casabona.org slash desk. I'm like, look at the first picture in the gallery there from like three or four years ago. Doesn't look anything like this. I invested in this over time, but even back then I was still recording this podcast. I was still making LinkedIn learning courses. It's not about the gear you have. That's not the thing that makes you successful. It's, it's the dedication and the drive and, and the reasons you're, you're doing it. This episode is brought to you by Taylor Brands. Have you ever been told you can make money in your sleep only to realize that it's actually a ton of work and let's be honest, most definitely not in your sleep? Taylor Brands aims to change all that. With its AI-powered platform, you can get a logo, website, professional domain name, designs for social media, and even an LLC, all in just a few clicks, all in just a day. If you're anything like me, you're probably sick and tired of hearing of all the hacks for starting a business that don't actually work. Taylor Brands is the real shortcut. Whatever your idea is, you can make it look good in a day and focus on actually selling right through the Taylor Brands platform. Their logo designer is shockingly good. I gave it a try and I loved the results. Oh, and I got you 40% off. Just go to taylorbrands.com and use the code HOWIBUILTIT. That's taylorbrands.com and the code HOWIBUILTIT. That's the show's name, all one word, for 40% off. Thanks to Taylor Brands for sponsoring this episode of How I Built It. Let's talk about content. That's uh, that's the really the main thing, even though I could talk about this for hours. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about parenting and, and build something more. Um, I'm sure my members love hearing me talk about parenting a ton at this point. But um, let's talk about content because these are these are content businesses. And I think uh, maybe a stereotype, right, is that the only way to really make money with content is by being an SEO expert or being like a really popular podcaster or being like the first five tech YouTubers, right? Like MKBHD. And, and um, but I think I'm proof. I think you're proof that you can build a good business that serves you well making content. Um, so what, what is your, I guess, what kind of content do you make and what's your approach to making it? Well, it's changed over the years. Um, but I, I would say even, even since my first business, I've really been better, better at, um, arranging all of the content makers and running the business than actually doing it myself. I still do. I still do some writing, um, mostly like occasionally I write for my own blog. Um, usually when I have, when I have a milestone post so I can look back at it later. Yeah. Um, and I do some of like right now I'm writing some of the newsletters um, for they got acquired as we figure out like what the format looks like. Mm-hmm. But in terms of creation itself, my, my skills are more like in editing. Um, and, and I'm much better at helping other people figure out what they should do and then helping them optimize it. So the way I've, I do that is by creating a content team and pre- creating a team of people to help build a business and having just the vision of, of what that should look like. 
Nice. So when you so when it comes to let's look at they got acquired. Uh, when it comes to what you're publishing, is is are the topics kind of based on what you want to see, or is it stuff that the is it like uh, everyone's in a room together, kind of brainstorming mm-hmm. ideas and stuff like that? Good question. Um, yeah. I, I think whenever someone says good question, it's because it's like, oh, it's a kind of a hard question to answer. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I, I definitely, it's like, good question. Let because me it's hard to answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I guess I am driving most of the content strategy in terms of topics at the moment. Um, we have two types of content content on the site. Well, we have, well three, I guess, because we have we have the podcast. The podcast is telling stories of founders who have sold their company, and just going into in, in deep on their on their story. Um, but as for written content on the website, we have two types of stories. One are um, shortish stories that explain how a company got acquired. So you can find like all the metrics there, like ideally what they sold for, or at least was it a six, seven or eight figure deal? Sometimes we don't have that information, but whenever we can get it, we include it. Who bought the company? What kind of company was it? You know, when did it sell? When was it, when was it founded? Um, what worked for the founders in, in selling that company? How did they do it? How did they find a buyer? So we have a lot of kind of profile stories like that. And for those, we're really, we have a list of about a thousand that we want to cover and we're adding to that every day. And so right now we're just like ticking them off little by little. And then we also have posts that are more resource heavy. So um, we just ran a post that's a guide to selling your startup. So where do you start if you want to sell? What does the process look like? Um, We did a story on mistakes that you want to avoid in your LOI, which is a letter of intent. And that's typically one of the first steps in selling um, a business is you, the, um, the buyer will give the seller a letter of intent. Um, and it just, it's a letter of intent to purchase your business. So it lays out the basic terms of what you're hoping to do. And, um, so we have a post about mistakes you want to avoid when you're signing that. It's most helpful for first time buyers, mm-hmm. um, who, who have never been through the process before. So yeah, we're, we're kind of dripping out both of those pieces of content, um, we're doing about four pieces of content a week right now. And we've been doing a newsletter a week, but we're about to go up to two newsletters a week. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, and so I, I want to touch on that in a minute. But when it, when you talk about, uh, okay, so the articles on the kind of profile stories, right? Um, what does the research look like there? Are you like subscribed to... Other acquisition news? Are people reaching out going like, hey, tell my story? Is it mm-hmm. some combination of the two? Combination, yeah. We mm-hmm. have a researcher who's dedicated to finding the deals. And then even when they come to us, she puts them into our database with relevant information. And then um, all of our writers are reporters, so they all have journalistic background. It's pretty nice. heavily relies on my journalistic, my own personal journalistic background. Um, yeah. And we usually start the process by sending... Um, we tell the story from the seller's perspective and usually the seller is the founder, but not always because sometimes mm-hmm. someone's selling a company that they didn't found. Um, but usually it's the founder. And so we'll sell, we'll send the founder a form that asks a lot of questions about the acquisition. That's our starting point. And then we hand it to a reporter and they usually look that over. They, they usually end up, um, getting in touch with that person and asking a few follow-up questions, um, and writing the story from there. And we, we also have lots of stories where the founder or the seller didn't respond to us or, or declined to fill out 
our form. Um, and we have, we're, we're usually able to write those stories as well. They're, they're much more colorful if we can get direct comment from the mm-hmm. seller and it's more fun for us and more fun for the reader, but we can still gather plenty of information usually for these kinds of deals, even if they decline our request. That there's usually nice. like other stories that have been written or press releases and stuff like that. Yeah. And is there like a lot of fact checking involved mm-hmm. there? Yes. Like, you know, does the, uh, I mean, you don't have to answer this question specifically, mm-hmm. but maybe a founder tries to embellish like how mm-hmm. good they were, how great the deal was for them or whatever. Yeah. So the tricky part of this is almost all of these deals are private deals. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes for the bigger, like the eight figure ones, they might've been purchased by a public company and there might be um, actual details on the deal published in a press release or, or an earnings report or something. But mm-hmm. for most, the vast majority of the com- companies we cover, these are private deals. So the only way you can get the information is by getting it from the seller or the buyer. So it is possible that they that they embellish or they lie. Um, and, and that's just something we have to be clear about. Like we got, we just attribute really heavily. We'll say here's right. exactly where we got the information from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's important too, because we get, a lot of our facts from other sources and they could be wrong. So we, every time we, we share a source, pretty much we, we share, we attribute it. And actually at the bottom of every story, we have a feature that I think is pretty cool. It says sources and you could, it's an expander. So you can expand it out and it will list the sources that we relied on for that story. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we're really clear where we get the information from for the exact reason that you're, you're asking about. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that, that made me think of one other question that, um, um, this is just general curiosity on my part, mm-hmm. but if it is, if it is a a public company, right? Uh, do do shareholders have to okay the acquisition? I guess if it's of a certain size, I guess shareholders don't have to uh, okay all spending from public companies. But I, that was just like an interesting thing that you know never I don't know all the rules before. around that. Yeah, um, probably depends on the company too. I know yeah. that if it is. If it is published somewhere, we will have it. We will find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so in the cases where they are required to share details, um, that becomes like part of our record yeah. for that particular deal. This episode is brought to you by Store Builder from Nexus. When it comes to setting up an e-commerce site, you have a choice between easy but limited or a limitless platform that you need to manage yourself. Until now. StoreBuilder is e-commerce made easy for everybody. It saves you time and delivers a storefront that lets you get to selling. As someone who set up multiple e-commerce sites, I can tell you that StoreBuilder has been a much easier experience than anything else. Answer a few questions, add your content, and sell. StoreBuilder was created and is supported by e-commerce experts at Nexus. Get the speed, security, and support you need when you need it. Are you ready to launch your perfect online store? Head over to howibuilt.it slash storebuilder for a special offer. That's howibuilt.it slash storebuilder. Okay, and then for your other, your kind of resource-heavy posts, um, what does the resource uh, research look like there? Are you doing like keyword research? Or, are, are these mm-hmm. things that, you know, because you you personally have a lot of experience. Are you answering questions that like uh, Lexi from five years ago had or, or anything like that? Mm-hmm. So we usually start the stories or get the ideas for the stories in two ways. One, it might just be something that we, yes, we we think will be helpful to people or we hear people asking about. And when that's the case, yes, we'll do keyword research around 
that topic and think about like, how can we rank? Um, a lot of the keywords that we're going after, they're really low volume. So they're, they're, they're not tons of searches, but I still think it's worth um, putting the effort in. Because yeah. there's I mean, not as you said, right, there, there's not like really, there aren't a lot of resources like yours out there right now. There aren't. Yeah, there's not a lot of, and even the competitors that do exist, there, a lot of them have a dog in the fight. So they're like brokers mm-hmm. or M&A firms that want you to hire them to sell uh, a business. So yeah. we, we like to think of ourselves as like an impartial <laughs> third party giving how, information. How to sell your business. It's really hard and you should hire somebody. Yes. By the <laughs> way. <Yeah. laughs> um, but then we also have an SEO strategy that we created at the beginning, uh, you know, at launch. And I worked with a consultant on that who I've worked with on a number of different projects. He's excellent. And we came up with a list of uh, keywords that we want to go after and what stories you might write to go after those keywords. So we're also kind of just slowly ticking, ticking our way through that. And for those, we would, we put together a brief that's like, you know, here's the keyword we're going after. Here's the angle we think the story should take. Here's what we'd like to see in the story, how long it should be. Um, any other questions you might answer? We try to provide as much guidance as possible for the writer. Nice. Um, and and when it comes to kind of keyword keyword research, uh, research and implementing your strategy, are you using any uh, specific tools here? And I should say full disclosure at this point that uh, Hrefs was a previous sponsor of this show, and they usually mm-hmm. come up a lot during this conversation. So I'll just say mm-hmm. it right now. But uh, yeah, are there any that's tools a tool that, you that use? we use? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Our our. I mean. So here's my approach to SEO. <laughs> I, I love SEO. I think it's a great, um, I think of any channel, if you're going to rely on any channel, I would want to rely on SEO because I think generally if you, if you do it in the right way, you're, you're not likely to be penalized heavily. I know that's not the truth, the truth, not the case for everybody, but it's, it's my preferred channel. And I, I like going after SEO traffic. I tend to follow an 80, 20 approach to SEO. I want us to be optimizing and, 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 making an intentional um, attempt at ranking. But I don't believe in putting tons and tons of time into that because there's so many other things that we need to do at this point. And so at the moment, that's the only tool we use. We keep it pretty simple. Cool, cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably the one. I don't do nearly enough keyword research and it's like pretty obvious, I think. Um, I'm just kind of publishing the content that that comes to mind. Um, but I'm I'm trying to be more intentional about uh, quality over quantity at this point, especially mm-hmm. because of um, some of the things that we talked about in the pre-show, right? Where I'm kind of dropping down, you know, while my youngest is not in daycare or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I I just can't feasibly personally put out five pieces of content a week anymore. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I, I want to make sure the content I'm putting out is is good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, something I... I uh, I regret not priming you on because it is a question I want to ask uh, is um, monetization strategies. Obviously we don't have mm-hmm. to talk numbers, but you have a business with many employees um, or at least a team of people. Um, how how are you monetizing your content or how do you plan to monetize your content? I mean, yeah, you mentioned you're bootstrapped. To, so <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to talk about yeah. this. Um, we're monetizing primarily in two ways. One is, through sponsorships and advertising. And I actually went into this thinking that that would be minimal, but I realized pretty quickly there's a lot of opportunity for that in the space that I'm in. So we're going to lean into that a little bit more heavily. Nice. Um, so I'll make sure you can st- y'all still hear me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then 
Uh, the second way we're monetizing is, or we will be monetizing, is through our database. So I mentioned we're, on the, we're a media company on the front end, where you can see all these stories of uh, companies that have sold and the founders who built them. And then on the back end, we're we're collecting all of those examples into da- a database. And what we want to do is pull out insights from that database and and sell sell them to help people either sell their company or um, we're thinking that long-term, some of that data could be helpful to support professionals in the M&A space as well. But oh, I mean, I should it. also say like, yes, it's bootstrapped and I'm putting my own money into this. I actually, I shared a tweet about this um, at launch at launch, I had, I think I put out a pie chart that showed like how much I had spent to get to that point. I think it was 30K. Um, I had to go back and look. It was something like around that range. Um, but I am putting my own money into this. And even though we're, we're bringing in money now, we're not covering expenses yet. Gotcha. That, okay, that's really interesting. And, and um, I guess the idea, right, for kind of multiple acquisitions is that you could use some acquisition money to fund your your new project. I won't put words in your mouth there, but that's, that's exactly that's how happened. I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> the last company that I sold about a year ago, I used some of that money to fund this project. Nice, nice. Uh, you didn't put it in like Bitcoin or whatever? I don't know how you feel <laughs> I'm about Bitcoin. I'm not a Bitcoin, Bitcoin person. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. That's good. <laughs> I just like took a big risk there making fun of Bitcoin. <laughs> um Awesome. Uh, yeah, th- that database is really smart, right? Because it's all, if if I'm, you know, again, if I'm looking to sell whatever, I know I'm of this size and I bring in this much and, and then I could potentially use that data to come up with a good sale price for me is, is part yeah, of the Yeah, I right? often yeah. explain it as like, if you're going to sell your house, you look around your neighborhood and you get lots of real estate comps. This is what, what did the other houses in your neighborhood sell for? And lots yeah. of big companies have access to this type of data. But it doesn't, well, until now, no one was really collecting it for smaller companies. So, you know, I'd love for someone who's going to, who wants to sell their e-commerce company to be able to come to the site and say, hey, I'd love to see 20 examples of other e-commerce companies that have sold in the last two years for less than $2 million. Um, and just, yeah. just you can look at the metrics, like how many employees do they have? Um, if it's a content business, what was their website traffic like when they sold? Um, stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be more accurate than the Zestimate, right? On Zillow or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad just, my dad sent me the Zillow page for my house, which I bought <laughs> three years ago. And it's like up like 150% or something like that. And I'm like, dad, I don't That's think I, right I don't, now. I don't think I'd sell my house for that much though. Also like <laughs> we'd be homeless. Um, but I always appreciate when my, my, you know, my dad keeping me in mind, of course. Um, so, so we talked about your, your articles and, and monetization strategy a little bit. You mentioned that you also have um, a podcast and now you're moving from one newsletter to two, two newsletters. The podcast, um, is, is that a, 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 another income stream for you? Is this, or is it more like a, um, uh, uh, public, public, uh, publicizing marketing mm-hmm. kind of thing to get people to your site. Yeah, it's actually both. I was thinking of it more as a marketing play, and really, what I want to do with it is, I want people to be able to trust us and and hear from us, and you know, literally hear. Because yeah. I think when you read a website or read a newsletter, you don't get as much of a sense for a person. Um, are you still there? Yeah, I, uh, I'm i writing this down verbatim and I want to use it because this is exactly what I, this is what I tell people because I coach people on their, mm-hmm. on their podcast and whether they should start one or not. And that's the exact thing I tell people, right? Yeah, is, it's, it's about trust. Yeah. And, and yeah. all content companies are about trust and they're about 
um, like no one's going to come back and, and be loyal to your brand if they don't trust you. And so, especially in the early days, because we don't have a community right now, we don't have a great way for readers to interact with us except replying to the newsletter. And eventually I hope we'll have some sort of community. But until then, I want them to have another way that they can learn that like we're legit. We have expertise and, um, you know, they can trust us. And so the podcast was an interesting choice because, you know, I host it. And I, first of all, I have no background in hosting a podcast. I am a writer. I am not a speaker. <laughs> um, and, and so the way we got around that, and in fact, I, originally I was thinking someone else would host it. But mm-hmm. when I t- was talking to my producer about it, she she convinced me that I should be the one to do it because she said it'll just, especially in the early days, it, it just helps put a name to the brand. It's yeah. really important in the early days. So um, we're doing it a little bit differently than like for example, this Q and A podcast because it's a, it's a narrative style podcast, mm-hmm. so it's heavily produced, and you know there's music and we tell a story, and it's not chronological to the interview that has been that that right. I do with the person. Um, and one of the reasons we chose to do that was to hide my shortcomings as a speaker <laughs> because I have a huge learning curve. I'm like my background's in reporting, so I I really love interviewing people, and I I think I'm pretty good at asking good questions, but there's a lot to learn in terms of being a podcast host. So it was, it was great that we were able to take that route because it helps, it gives me time to learn with, and we can still have a good product. But at the moment I'm, I'm thinking of it as more of a trust builder. But what I'm realizing is I think the second season is going to be a moneymaker for us. At the very least it will cover it's, it will, we can get enough sponsors to cover the cost of doing the podcast. Cause it, it's really expensive to do a narrative style podcast. It costs yeah. way more money than a Q and a, um, yep. So it was a big risk on my part. But what I found is that it ended up being really fun. And it almost felt like a personal development course for me doing this first season. So I think in that way, it ended up being worth it on, on all fronts. But I'm, I'm hoping that it will it will start to take off and, you know, we'll justify doing a second season and and sponsors can help cover the cost of that. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I, I will say it's um, it, it's very well produced, right? It's not, you know, usually... Uh, you usually don't see something like that from, you know, a first time podcaster. You generally will see that from like Wondery or, or NPR and, and, and cause they do have the resources cause it is expensive, right? You need to, mm-hmm. now you, you're, you're not just taking this and cleaning it up and, um, and putting it out there. You're probably transcribing it, finding the clips, figuring out where to place them, adding your own narration in there. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it was really, it's really well done. And I, when you announced I subscribed and so I've been listening to it and it's. Thanks. I, I'll pass doing, that along to Laura Boat. She's our um, producer and she's a superstar. So awesome. everything good on there. It's from her. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, you got to give credit to the host as well. Cause I mean, I, I, I've done drama club since like second grade. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty good at like the live ad lib shtick thing. That's, that's the content or that's the format that works best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, wrapping my mind around the, the heavily produced stuff, uh, is, is a total, it's like a different medium essentially. So it's. It really um, is. But that, that's yeah. another reason why I wanted to do it that way is because. Yeah. I wanted to do something different. I felt like if I was going to enter this super crowded space where there's tons of people doing podcasts and even more people who are just coming in, I'm like, we've got to do something that's way different that's going to actually help people choose to listen to us over somebody else. And I like to think the guests help with that a little bit because, you know, we're featuring 
guests who have sold their companies mm-hmm. for quote unquote smaller amounts. So they're, you know, they're not telling those types of stories on every podcast. Um, right. But yeah, that's what my hope was like having a different format would help us stand out. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really important. I, I think that's, you think of, you do need to think of how you're differentiating. And uh, when I, um, you know, when I first started this show, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't really founder stories. Um, it was like, how did you build this specific thing? And that really helped. And now I'm moving into how how can people build a specific thing? Uh, I still get a lot of pitches for just like the founder story though. And I'm like, I don't, a lot of podcasts do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's not something I want to do. I want the actionable advice mm-hmm. um, sort of thing. And so the, the last thing I think we'll cover here before I ask you my favorite question is... Um, you mentioned that you have a newsletter and you're adding a, a second newsletter, right? So you've got like nearly the full gamut of, of content creation. I'll have to ask you if, if, if video is in, is in the future for you. Uh, but um, what, I guess, what is the first newsletter cover and, and what was the idea for the second one? Right. Cause well, the, sorry, it's, yeah. I, I kind of wasn't clear on that, but it's the same yeah. newsletter, but we have our frequency so far has been once a week. Okay. And we're just increasing the frequency. We're going to sell that, send that newsletter twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays instead of just Tuesdays. Nice. Is that like out of an abundance of of content? Yes. It's nice. out of an abundance of content, um, and also out of an abundance of sponsors because I I figured awesome. like we have both of those things. Why am I cramming everything into one newsletter? Yeah. And I know there's like this huge movement to have these ridiculously long newsletters that have tons of content in them. My personal preference, and I don't, I can't th- say this is backed by data, but I don't really want to read a really long newsletter. Like I'd rather read something that's shorter. <laughs> uh, and yeah. so I think having it cut into two makes sense for us, but we'll see. Nice. It's all, it's all an experiment. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's, you hit the nail on the head, right? I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, content creation is experimentation and it's, you gotta try a bunch of things and see what works. Um mm-hmm. And it's like a little, it's it's a little bit risky, right? Because if you're doing something that like really works and then you change it, but you'll, you'll hear from your readers or your mm-hmm, mm-hmm. listeners if, if people get upset. But I like that. I, I, I when I first started the show, I was like, okay, only two sponsors and only at the pre-roll and then a bunch of people wanted to sponsor. And I'm like, why am I limiting my income this much <laughs> for n- no good reason? Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and I, I think maybe the last question I'll ask you here then is um, sponsors. Uh, a lot of people have trouble finding sponsors. As a matter of fact, that's like the number one thing I'm coaching people on right now, despite uh, the fact that I spent like the last six months telling people that sponsors aren't the only way to make money podcasting. <laughs> Everyone still wants to know. So now I'm like, all right, message received. Most of my content will be around this now. Mm-hmm. Um, is Is it... Is it mostly your network or I guess I'm now I'm trying to like mm-hmm. give you the answer, but how, how did you get your first sponsors? Some of it's my network, um, yeah. but a lot of it has been from people that I've done calls with since we launched who were just interested in what we're doing and they work in the space. So nice. what I did was I put together just a simple Google doc. That's like, here's where we are. Here's how many subscribers we have. Here's what we can offer. Here's what you get. And here's how much it costs. Um, and I just shared it with a few different people and, um, yeah, it was, it was surprisingly easy to sell it. And I, I think we're selling it. We started our launch sponsorships at, um, 5k for, I want to say 
it was a few newsletters and like a podcast episode or something. It was like a package. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, we only had a thousand subscribers, so we didn't have that many subscribers. Um, but I think because this, the stuff that we're writing about, like there's not a lot of content shops that right. focus on this. So the people who want to reach this audience, like they don't have a ton of avenues for doing that. Um, and I think it helped too, that I've sort of built in public a little bit because some of them, they just trusted, like they knew what I was up to. They knew what my approach was when I asked them um, and, and they trusted that we would do a good job. And I think that helped. Yeah. Gosh, I love everything you just said there. That's like, uh, if, if, if we were to sum up again, some of the things that I tell people in a couple of sentences, it would absolutely be that you are combining your resources, right? That's kind of like, a. a I, um, your, uh, total reach, right. Calculating your overall Mm -hmm. reach, um, and niche content, I think is, is, is really important. I think that's, I think that's becoming more important to businesses. Um, again, if I can anecdotally speak, right. I've had a lot of WordPress businesses reach out to me to sponsor this show Mm -hmm. very recently. Right. So I'm, I'm never going to get Casper mattress because they do want to see millions of downloads, but Mm -hmm. for people who are talking directly to my audience, you know, they don't need to see millions of downloads. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, and then the trust people are trusting you to deliver because you've, you've built, um, you've built in public and people are seeing what you're doing. And I think those two things are, are really important. I think, um, and, and having that document ready as well, I think that's a the smart move I, uh, because usually people are like, I don't know, what do I do? How do I price? Mm-hmm. Um, I usually tell people lowball yourself a little bit at first just to see if someone says yes immediately, then you know to raise your prices next time, right? Um, but I did the opposite. I would advise the opposite. Really? <laughs> I would advise. I mean, that way's better. Highball so, yourself, and if they say you no, you can bring it down. I will see. Take Lexi's advice. That's better because <laughs> now, <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Lexi, this has been such a great conversation. We covered a lot of, a lot of ground, um, and really good advice about sponsorship, which I, I didn't, I didn't have on my bingo card, but now it's probably going to be like one of the things I put in the description. Um, and I, I do need to, uh, ask my favorite question as always, uh, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Yeah. My trade secret is especially if you're building a content operation or you're a creator, think about monetization from the beginning. Because I think so many of us, and I've made this mistake many times myself, we care about the content and we enjoy creating the content and we say, hey, I'll make it and then eventually I'll see if it makes money. And you can do that maybe like your first two times, (laughs) but eventually when you start something, you got to push yourself to think about at the very beginning, how is this going to make money? Knowing that you may change your mind, like another opportunity may come up that you didn't you didn't expect, or maybe the original way you'd envision doesn't work, so you have to pivot. But having that plan initially, I think, is really important for anyone working in content. Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, great advice. Can't really add anything to it. Lexi Grant, thanks so much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Visit They Got Acquired or check out our podcast. It's just They Got Acquired in, in your favorite podcast app. I'm also on Twitter at Alexis Grant. Awesome. Um, I will link to those things and everything we talked about in the show notes, which are also in your podcast player uh, right now or over at howibuilt.it slash 264 in Build Something More. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about 
running businesses while parenting, always a good topic I, I like uh, touching on because everyone has a different approach. So if you're interested in hearing uh, that, that as well as ad-free extended episodes of every podcast, you can become a member of the Creator Crew at howibuilt.is slash 264. Sign up's right there. Just that one place will be everything. Um, Lexi, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. And thank you to this week's sponsors. They are Taylor Brands, Text Expander, and Nexus. Go say hi to them. How I built it is slash 264. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something. 